from WBEZ Chicago and Joy, Never Fleeting. This is Pleasure Town. Around the turn of the last century, a group of folk built a dream, a town where happiness was the main objective. But when you start with paradise, only way to go is down. So huddle together and join us as we celebrate Pleasure Town. Hey, Sad. Guess what today is? Is a day really a day here in the afterlife? Good point. But if we were still counting living days, it'd be the first day of the feast. Huh. <laughs> the feast of the wretched. A lot of happy memories. A lot of sad ones, too. I must admit, that was one of the best things you ever did for the town. And it only took me 15 years from when Pleasure Town saw its first day. Better late than never. Besides, the time was right for a holiday. True. Everything was in flux. Matty Barker was on the road beating up men for money. Shaman John, that poor sap, had exiled himself to God knows where. And those who remained had almost forgotten that we were all supposed to be living for pleasure. Didn't help that everybody was under Sheriff Deuteronomy's watch. That man was always in the background which is just the kind of thing you'd expect from a snake in the grass. And the Feast of the Wretched was a respite from those struggles. That first one sticks in my memory, like a hatchet wedged into bone. My people needed me. I could see it in their eyes. The plea that only comes from exhaustion. Claude's push for the quick and fleeting kept winning the day, and each citizen spent their time vacillating between the trench and the clouds. This is not the life they wished to live. They had lost any form of purpose. Most of us had deserted our old lives. Family and friends. Homes and possessions trappings and tradition and as these were shed and left to perish so was the meaning they offered mind you I believe most of that was for the best but there were a few things we lost in the transition and at the top of that list was the feast the festival the annual holiday marking the history of the ancestors a marker to draw you back to hope and a grave to lay rest your concern We could not awaken the old days, pleasant though they were. Easter with its renewal, Christmas with its promise. They were too tangled with all we abandoned. Our feast would have to be ours, and ours alone. The idea was simple, but fleshing it out was a chore. My people treated every day as a holiday. Drink at dawn, dance till dusk. Laugh and sing to keep the tears inside. What then would be appealing? What could capture their attention long enough to take hold? I knew the key to the feast. To our feast lie in that question. I had to find a way to get them to stop running.
Jack nails me with a solid cross punch to my shoulder, and I use my pain to build up some steam. I keep dancing around in a circle, making him follow my every move. I throw out a firm hook to his right ear. Gives me some satisfaction to see his smug face snap into the side. Jack's right fist comes at me quick, but I'm guarding my face like it's a precious heirloom. He's fuming because he didn't think a fight with a woman would last more than a few minutes, tops. Jack's built of sinew and brow, his red-headed temperament on the rise to a rolling boil. He punches me in the chest, clenching his face up into his signature menacing glare. I flash him back a smile, just to rile him up some more. I ain't cowering to Jack Fry, better known on the circuit as the Widowmaker, because I am highly accustomed to dealing with men who are infected with rage. After I found me some sweet justice with one sure swing of a frying pan, my name was all over Pleasure Town. I was sipping a whiskey and water at the brothel when some gals came in buzzing about how a man named Frank was asking after me, said he was a boxing promoter, and told them he was looking for a fighter with an unconventional appeal. Frank won me over right away with his winning smile and his firm handshake. Helped, too, when he told me there was a bunch of cash to be made. I didn't take a whole minute to think it over. I just took Frank's hand in mine and shook it real hard. Take a little off the sides. We'll leave the length on top. Sure thing, Claude. Brother, get me a clean pair of shears. Any special plans for the feast? Can't say that I do. I think my brother and I are just gonna take it easy. Maybe go out to the creek at dusk and see if we can't catch ourselves some catfish. Lightning bugs are out in full force right now, and they make the best bait. That they do. So, uh, we've never much talked, you and I. And I think that's a damn shame, because I like you. You and your brother. You two dress real nice, that's for sure. Always so prim and proper. You also got this air about you. It's not snobbery. Just, what would you call it? Class? Yeah, 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 class. You seem real put together. Maybe maybe that's because you always had the sharpest hair in all Pleasure Town on account of those sharp shears. But I just want to say, I admire that. Well, thank you. You know... I'm glad you two are able to make a living here. I mean, I'm glad everyone can make a living here. That's why Cyrus and I created this town in the first place. To give people a chance at a life they could only dream of. And I just think, you know, that probably means a great deal more to you than it does to some of the other residents. What man doesn't want to live out his dream? Oh, I know. I'm just saying for you two especially, I'm sure having a sense of freedom is a welcome change from wherever you came from. I mean... I know I'm as white as a porcelain doll, except in the summertime when I get red as Oklahoma dirt. One can imagine. I mean... You mean to ask, are we thankful for Pleasure Town? Well, I'm not saying that. But I mean, we are an island in a sea of bigotry. 
I truly believe every man deserves the right to carve out his path to his own happiness, so long as it doesn't hurt nobody. And that's not an ideology I imagine you find in a lot of white folks. Is this short enough? Can you go a little shorter? You know, my father owned a couple of slaves. I I hate even saying it like that. Owned. As if a man can own another man. But he did. And I knew it was wrong since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. What do you want? Oh, just trim it on the top with a part on the right. No, I mean, what do you want from us? From my brother and me? Well, I... Because if you want a handshake or a pat on the back, you're not gonna get it. You don't treat black folks like cattle? Oh, well, praise the Lord. A white man has seen the light. This is common sense, and yet you want us to reward you with our friendship because of the depths of your compassion and the infiniteness of your humanity? Look now, I didn't mean to offend, nor did I mean to imply that I'm something special. I agree. We all should be treating each other as if we were kin, but that just ain't how it is. Ignorance is a weed that takes root no matter how much you try to pluck it out. But, well, I guess I just feel a connection with you and your brother. And I'd really like us all to break bread. Maybe smoke some cigars over a few glasses of whiskey sometime. My brother and I aren't big on smoking and drinking. Well, that's all right. Ain't nothing wrong with a man who enjoys abstinence if that's what tickles your fancy. We could always head to the creek together for some catfishing. That's really something I prefer to do alone with my brother. Well, I just want you to know you've got a friend in me, at least. I'm not like some of the others. I'm one of the good ones. I understand the black man's struggle because I have seen the black man's struggle. I feel for the black man, and I take it as my personal duty to try to right the wrongs of the more ignorant of my ilk for whom I cannot apologize enough. Seeing the black man's struggle is to be temporarily blinded by the fire. Living it is to be engulfed in the flames. We do not need your pity. We do not need your charity. We did not ask for your apology, and so we will not accept it. Haircut's finished. What do I owe you? Nothing. Nothing? Now that's not fair. A man deserves proper wages for a proper job. We can get by just fine. Well, all right then. Thank you very much. And really, if you two ever want to stop by City Hall, I'd be happy to give you a tour. Heck, we can host you for a dinner or something. Miss Thatcher makes all our meals, and she's one heck of a cook. We'll see if we can find the time. Brother... I swear, sometimes I wonder if there's an affliction that only affects white folks. And earthworms got more of a backbone than any one of them. Everybody loves to bear witness to a freak show. Bankers in ties, shoeless bums... Church folk holding babies, girls from the brothel decked out in their finery, all mixed up in solidarity, gawking as I land a blow to Jack's neck that takes him off his mark. Take it! He comes back with a mighty snap to my gut. Frank's running around the perimeter, sizing up the crowd, calculating our payout. I'm getting a thrill thinking about making more money for hitting one guy in the face than I ever made grinding and sweet-talking a whole army of them. Uh, uh. Having Frank teach me how to fight was pure pleasure. 
I took to it real natural as he showed me how to plant my feet so I could take a punch, how to glide around the ring, how to protect my head. I led with some jabs with my left, then some cross punches with my right. And in no time, I was putting Frank on the ropes when I mixed in hooks from the side and uppercuts from below. We trained tirelessly, and Frank would spring for us to share some whiskey afterwards. He'd rub my arms and ice my neck when I didn't think I could stand up another minute. His kindness always gave me the spark to carry on. It was a kindness I'd never seen in a man. Even when my face was swollen from hours of taking punches, Frank would tell me I still looked like a million. Even though she's dressed like a man, the good doctor looks stunning. You think we're raising any suspicions with us eating together like this? You're a reporter. Everyone will think you're just doing an interview now, won't they? Right as usual. I have been in Pleasure Town for the better part of six years, immersing myself among its people, making it my home. I've also decided this town, with all its enchantments and bewitchment, its miscreants and degenerates, has enough character for a book. Plus, I have this pretty little thing sitting across from me. A woman who possesses the sweetness of a Georgia peach and the facial fuzz to boot. True, the doctor's beard is no more real than a mirage. But she's got this whole town fooled. Well, this whole town minus me. You want to find the way into a reporter's heart? You give him a scoop. I suppose you're right. Pretty much ignored by most people here anyway, being a professed northerner and all. I'm not so sure it's your Yankee roots. A lot of these folks came here to become invisible, and you're in the profession of casting light. She has a point. I find that's often the case. It can be frustrating, enraging even, being with a woman who makes you feel inferior, whose intelligence both charms and mocks you. Looking across the table, that glint of candlelight reflected in her eyes betrays her secret. Those beautiful eyes. It were those eyes that first exposed her truth to me all those years ago. Jack's frustration makes him spew out some of his trademark nasty. Ma Barker, I wouldn't let an ugly bitch like you pet my dog. You might give him rabies. Why'd you hit your old man with a frying pan? You find somebody prettier than you? I tell myself to just keep my feet going in a circle. I know he'll wear himself out with all his blustery blabber. I attempt to hit him with a solid cross, but he blocks it and grabs my arm, twisting it in a circle before I can wriggle out of his clutch. I force my face to go blank while pain tears through my arm and down my right side. Jack nods and laughs, pleased he's done some damage. 
I put all my strength into a promising swing at his temple, but he weaves away and I lurch forward, falling to my knees. Get your ass up, Matilda. Show this man that you don't need no goddamn skillet to take a man down. Jack turns toward the crowd in triumph, thinking I'm done for, and I reckon he's right. <laughs> Pleasure Town will return in a moment. First man who showed up to brawl with me couldn't believe they had to stoop so low as to fight a woman to pay their bills. Bobby Bonecrusher Stone didn't even punch back, just smirked like I was a bad joke. I made him the punchline when I landed a solid roundhouse to the side of his face, and he toppled over like a cheap tent on a windy day. I ate up the attention, loved getting the crowd on their feet, yelling my name. Winning gave me the will to make it through some rough bouts where I took some heavy blows, to my face and to my pride. I was determined to be taken seriously as a fighter, and that meant some nights I had to get the tar beat out of me. But I still showed up to every fight, believing I stood a chance. I stumbled to my feet, and Jack scowls, looking as agitated as a hornet's nest doused in kerosene. There's something about him that draws me close, like a horseshoe to a magnet. It's more than our shared East Coast heritage. It's more than our mutual appreciation for literature. It's those hot Oklahoma nights where I let him sleep naked next to my body, caress my body, sometimes even enter my body. But it's even more than that. It's love. You see, I do love him. But it's a conflicted and messy love. He has a temper. And though I know he never raised his fist, I've seen the anger in his eyes. Those damn eyes. Always revealing your hand to the world. But about that anger, it's very much a man's thing. It's stubborn and impulsive, and it has a strong desire to always be right. It condescends and postures and fears every moment that might reveal a weakness. It's a thing I don't possess, and one of the few qualities that makes me, dare I say, proud to be a woman. The reporter moves to raise a glass. To the feast of the wretched, to Pleasure Town, and to us, my dear. To us. I say as a smile blooms across my face like a wildflower. I quickly catch myself, knowing that such displays of emotion are liable to reveal my secret. And so I see to it that my smile melts back into the good doctor's perpetual scowl. Sometimes I wonder if this love affair is just another experiment. 
I know I vowed Bertram would be my last test. But that was a test of the body. This is a test of the heart. If that is true, then I am perplexed by the results. You see, being with the reporter makes me feel more like a woman than I've ever felt before. You have to take up boxing because no man wants to put his pecker in you. I wouldn't even pay a nickel to feel you up, Ma Barker. Even as a whore, you're worthless. I see Jack's fist coming at me, feel the brunt of his anger when it makes contact with my collarbone. I peer out over the fence I've made with my fists. Jack's no longer Jack. Through swollen eyes, I see Henry, my dead husband. His matted hair, his crooked half-smile, his horrible mix of defeat and contempt, now moving in time in front of me. I swing my weary arm as Henry taunts me. You're a hopeless mess, as usual. Why would you think you stood a chance of being something besides a whore? Look at yourself, Maddie. What a poor excuse for a woman you are. I am doing my best at the only thing that ever brought me a lick of pride in my life, and I'll be damned if Henry is going to take it away from me. I don't feel the pain in my arm anymore, or the tiredness in my bones. I just feel my body fill up with pure white fury. First punch is square in his nose, the snap of the cartilage breaking sounds like when you put a sharp knife through a chicken. Blood spurts out, a look of shock washes over his face. The screams of the crowd fuel me. The next few punches I fire off like a rifle, across to the temple, a hook to the cheek, and a solid uppercut straight up the bottom of his jaw. Makes him bite right through his tongue, has him spitting blood all over me and the ring. Shuts him up for good. I hammer at him with a force I never knew lived inside of me, leaving bloody fist marks on his face, his arms, his chest. I'd probably still be hitting him if Frank hadn't pulled me away. The ritual is the only way I can survive. The only way to hold out the dark and destruction my soul longs for. With each draw of the razor, I keep the dark at bay. Each scrape upon my scalp keeps me in the light. At first, the ritual was an act, and the act was denial. A fight against one of the many paths back to the memory of her. Back to Shiner. Most of the paths I could not control. The laugh of a stranger. The smile of a purchased companion. But my own hair was under my control. It wasn't that she liked my hair. It was that each gust of wind blew my locks against my face and my mind would erase her death and my hair would be hers and she'd be alive 
and next to me, and all I had to do was turn my head, and she would be there. And I would turn, but the empty air would slap the past back into tearful focus. She was gone. My shiner was gone. We spent time, and we consumed time, and our time ran out. The last grain of sand had fallen. And always after came the hate. Hate for my naivety. Hate for my weakness. Hate for the hundreds of miles I'd walked and will walk after leaving Pleasure Town. But most of all, hate for the death of her. And who I was with her. And who I would never again be. And in that hate I rebelled. A nameless barber in a nameless town took enough pity on me to trade me for his worst razor. The first shave was vicious, greased hair and blood pouring and pooling upon my shirt and on the ground. There were scrapes and cuts and gashes, but the hair was gone, and something had changed. I could feel the strength creep back down upon me. I was Samson's bastard son. Before I laid my hands upon the razor, I was unsure whether or not I wished to live. The white stone path that leads to heaven's gate seemed to be the best and only choice. Now I had proof, exhumed from my depths, that life was what I desired and in the wake of this proof, I once again felt the chance for purpose. If I was not to die, then I had to move on. I pruned away my withered parts as best I could, which meant abandoning anything that reminded me of who I once was. Only problem was my hair, which remained resilient. Thus... The ritual was born. Each morning, I take my razor and pull the razor until my head is clean. With each swipe, I breathe in. With each cleanse, I breathe out. In the midst of my meditation, I feel my impossible heartbeat. It should not be. It was stolen in a trade. The devil held firm to it, and Shiner bested him and returned it to me. And now it beats for her. It beats because of her. Shiner's last gift was my lousy life. And damned if I will let it waste. Everybody wants a piece of me after, shaking my hand, telling me how they ain't never seen anything like the beating I dealt the Widowmaker. Felt damn good to soak in some respect. Felt like I earned it doing a man's job better than any man in town. 
People are lining up to buy me drinks in celebration. I can hardly put them back fast enough. My fourth whiskey and water gives me a little peace, but I'm still savoring my adrenaline. Frank pats me on the back and pulls out a fistful of cash from his pocket, peels me off some bills, a few big ones, but then he pockets the rest, saying he'll handle the finances. I'm sure he'll make it right. I go back to sipping my whiskey, because like Frank always tells me, a star deserves to enjoy herself. Some proper rewards. The answer, turns out, (laughs) was pretty damn simple. The only way to stop running from your past is to turn and to face it. So, that's exactly what the feast had to be. One day a year we would stop running. We would turn and face the ignorant and ugly ghosts that nipped at our heels. And we would give those sorry sons of bitches a square kick between the legs. Then, as they writhed upon the ground, we'd laugh and spit into their confused faces. (laughs) I came up with a name, but... My brethren conjured one far better. The Feast of the Wretched. The first rite of the celebration was the making of the totem, where each would create an effigy of an oppressor, and the town did not disappoint. Straw men stood for abuse of fathers, Cornhusk dolls hung from the beams with names pinned to their chests. Bulger cut the shape of a short fat man from a scrap of cloth. Goldie carried a crude drawing of a figure above which hovered the name Alvin. Next came the week of emendations, a week of creating the worst possible life for your chosen enemy. How's your friend, you'd ask. Quite poorly, they'd answer. Seems he got the gout, something awful, lost both his legs. <laughs> With each injury, the story would expand and the pain would grow until the shadow of your suffering became comical. Last was the day of fire. Broken furniture and fallen trees would be piled at the edge of town. And even though we might hate our adversaries, well, everyone deserved a last drink. So a bottle full of our best whiskey was poured onto the wood. A spark and a flash and the wood was ablaze. Then, quick or quiet, each man, woman, and child of Pleasure Town threw their effigies upon the altar. Most of us kept watch as the fire died down. At the end, even though there was naught but ash, gold and flicker still danced in their eyes. Hey, Claude. How's your friend? Seems like he has a bad case of the mumps. Or at least I think he does. Face is swollen something fierce. How's your friend, Si? Well, sad to say his gin blossoms are flaring up again. Poor fellow's almost all purple. Well, 
I'm pretty sure mine's anemic. Skin is as pale as a bedsheet. Well, my pal's lungs are on their last legs. He can't take a breath without hacking up a storm. And mine has a lazy eye that keeps getting lazier. Probably from shoving that beak of his in all those books. Say what you want about my appearance, but leave the books out of it. <laughs> hey, I'm just full of the holiday spirit. Yeah. It's the Feast of the Wretched, after all. Is the fire ready? I reckon so. All right, then. On this, the final day of the feast, the day of fire, we lay to rest our concern. Take my totem, O cleansing flame, and free me from its burden. Fire doesn't sit well with me anymore. After what happened. True. But as fires want to do, it destroyed. But it also shed light. This is Keith. And this is Aaron. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pleasure Town. Uh, we are actually at the halfway point through the season. So Halfway. Can't believe we've made it this far, but we really appreciate it for everyone. Appreciative? Appreciative is the word that Aaron is looking for. Yes, I am a walking thesaurus. It just has no pronunciation guide. So, you know, we are always looking for contributions from our listeners. So you can go to our website. That is PleasureTownShow.com. PleasureTownShow.com. You can join the story there by clicking on Join the Story and filling out our form. Right now we're actually looking for last names for the founders, for Claude and Cyrus, which we will be announcing those at the end of the season, so stay tuned. You've got some time to submit, but if you've got some ideas, please send them our way. We've got some wonderful submissions already, so uh, we're definitely looking for some more. Also, there is more about Feast of the Wretched, this amazing holiday started by Cyrus and taken up by the rest of Pleasure Town. We will be premiering a special Feast of the Wretched-themed video which will be premiering on our website. Uh, well, it depends on when you're listening to this. Well, if it's, it'll be a week after the episode is released. So if you're listening to the episode right when it's come out, then uh, you've got a couple of days. If it's you're listening to it later, then it's already on the website. Time shifting is fun. Also, we are on iTunes, as you probably know. Please go and subscribe if you like the show and rate us and review us. You can also find us on Android. We're there, too. Please find us. Give us a good review. And also, we are on Facebook. Just search for Pleasure Town. You'll find us there, as well as Twitter, at Pleasure Town OK is our handle. Basically, what we're saying is we love hearing from our audience. We love hearing how you're enjoying the show. If you've got some critique on the show, basically any, any notes you have, send it our way. We love the interaction. We love hearing from you guys. One final thing. Pleasure Town is for you, our wonderful listeners, and we'd love to get a picture of the hows and whys and to what extents of your listenership. If you'd like to help us out in making Pleasure Town as superb as it possibly could be, then send us an email with a subject line, I'm in. I apostrophe M space I N. Our email address again is pleasuretownshow at gmail.com. Subject line, I'm in. 
This episode of Pleasure Town was written by Eileen Doherty, Aaron Cahoe, and Keith Ecker, with voices by Aaron, Keith, Kevin Gladish, Dana Norris, Mark Lancaster, Joe Dassault, Julian Stroop, and Josh Zagorin. Direction and sound design by Joe Dassault. Our interns are me, Emily Modaf, and Allison Agumakun. Original music was composed and performed by River Rising's Megan Diger and Tim Hazen, and engineered by Colin Ashmead Bobbitt. Pleasure Town is a part of the WBEZ Podcast Network. Discover more excellent shows like Strange Brews at wbez.org slash podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in another two weeks with a new episode. Thank you.